Welcome, adventurers. For the first time in hundreds of years, the secrecy surrounding a mysterious figure is threatened by a group of unlikely heroes. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon A low twang sounded. Fiery pain followed what felt like a kick just below her ribcage on the right side. Mela hissed and rolled immediately away from the open door, back pressed to the wall. It's not a surprise anymore. They know we are here, she called. You all right then? Colborn called from behind the pillar where he sheltered. She looked down. The bolt protruded from her stomach. It hadn't bit too deep. Her conjured armor had stopped much of the momentum. The short sword in her hand vanished. Now empty, her hand went down and pulled the bolt loose. Mela winced. A trickle of blood ran down her side, but it stopped almost immediately. Dropping the bolt to the floor, Mela raised her hand. The short sword appeared again, as if from nowhere. I'm fine. You got any... Mela started. She was going to ask, you got any suggestions of Colborn to seek his advice on a prudent way forward with an unknown number of hostile persons in the next room. But as you left her mouth, a thudding had already started, feet pounding on the tiled floor. At Gott, she saw Ketri surge forward, axes in hand. That exhilarated look of joy she got in her eyes when violence was at hand. By the time any was out of her mouth, Ketri was almost to her, moving with a single purpose in a straight line for the door. Two bolts thumped into the imposing woman, one in her thigh, one above her left breast. Two others came at the same time, but one had glanced harmlessly off and the last missed altogether. Not so much as a flinch. Ketri's run never faltered. Instead, a smile curling on her lips was the last thing Mela had seen before their dangerous friend passed from sight through the threshold. If the bolts were any indication, there were four at least in the next room. In truth, four stood little chance against Ketri. But four had not yet been verified. She should help. Mela gripped the sword in her left hand, the one that came and went at her will. That odd sensation of someone looking through her eyes swam through her. She drew a second short sword from her hip and was about to roll through the door in Ketri's wake when the door across the room, the one they had entered through, exploded into a cloud of splinters and smoke. Mela shielded her face in the crook of her elbow for but a beat, as she dropped her arm, forms could be seen rushing into the room. One, two, four. The idea that they had entered the building unknown and unseen fell from her mind. Inganar knew they were coming and had lured them into a trap. Ketri would have to fend for herself. 
She had to help Colborne. After the attack on the road south of Jumato, the one in which Colborne had been seriously injured, Sarkeesian had been shaken and Colborne thoughtful. The morning after Sarkeesian's haunting story about the Zarlfus, they didn't continue south on the last road as was their plan. Instead, they had crossed the Fenfergal, going further west into the Gimlin Woods. Crossing the river was no easy feat, as it was wide, deep, and fast at this point. Ketri and Sarkeesian were strong swimmers and were up to the task. Colfin and Rianach could also swim, but were not used to swimming in strong current. Colborne's magnificent legs allowed him to walk with no troubles. But the weight of them posed a serious issue. He would not float. Mela was terrified. She couldn't swim at all. She couldn't believe she had come all this way to have made friends more than friends, just to drown in a river. Before Mela had given voice to her fear, Sarkeesian had seen it on her face and drawn her aside to ask if she knew how to swim. Mela had admitted she could not. Sarkeesian smiled and reassured her all would be fine. And it was. After all this time, Mela wasn't sure why she doubted the many skills and talents of her companions. Colborne was never going to swim across at all. He was going to fly. Mela was given the choice to be carried across by Colborne or to hold on to Sarkeesian's back while she swam. Both seemed embarrassing, but both were better than dying. She wasn't pressured into picking one over the other. In fact, she helped keep watch on this side of the bank for boats, barges, or any passerby that might see them as Ketri swam quickly to the opposite bank and Colborne flew the first load of armor and supplies to the other side. Rianach swam across with Sarkeesian's assistance. Ketri returned to guide Colfin across. Colborne continued to make trips to keep food and armor dry. Slow and deliberate on land, the stout dwarven wizard looked like something else entirely while he was flying, like a proud fish that swam regally through the air in place of water. It was clear on his face that it brought him great joy, and that almost, almost made Mela forget that she had a choice to make. At last, after a half-bell where they hid in the foliage to either side of the river while a barge passed, Mela chose to be flown across. She felt like a kitten carried by the scruff of the neck, its mother hurrying it along past some obstacle it couldn't overcome. Rianach was sitting on the far bank, drying her hair as Colborne deposited her the halfling was wringing her red hair over one shoulder, squeezing and twisting. Rianach was watching her. Mela was so embarrassed, so sure the halfling would make one of her odd, off-handed comments that she flushed and turned away before she could register that there was actually a look of concern on her face. Of question. 
they moved away from the banks of the Fenfergal, making their way about a bell's travel into the Gimlin woods. Colfin found them a fine camp sheltered by a large rock outcropping on one side. Sarkeesian wanted some time to think, to get everyone's opinion on what came next. Although they had come up with not a single shred of information in regards to the mysterious green scarab in their time spent in Jamato, they were all having a hard time believing a random group of killers targeted them in particular on the usually safe last road. It was the gut feeling of Colborn, Colfin, Sarkeesian, and Rianok that their questions and the attempt on their lives were almost certainly directly connected. Ketri said she agreed, but she would have agreed if they had come up with the exact opposite opinion as well. As long as there was food, money, and the occasional fight, the tall, muscular woman was content. It was a lot to consider, that asking questions about some completely unknown shadow figure had drawn such an extreme reaction. Sarkeesian said they should all think on it for a day, and they would meet after dinner to discuss their feelings and thoughts on whether they should continue or let go of this mysterious person. Colfin had taken the time to go hunt. Sarkeesian joined him. Colborn had happily pulled out a few of the tomes he had picked up in Jumato before they left and found a seat on a log and began to read. To Mela's surprise, Rianok had come to stand beside her. The halfling flashed a quick smile, then looked down and kicked some leaves, then asked in a quiet voice without looking at her, Do you want me to show you how to swim? An unexpected flush of joy, a feeling of being cared for, ran up from her toes and settled in her cheeks and nose. Okay. They had run their plan by Sarkeesian, who said it was fine, just to do their best to avoid any noteworthy interactions. Ketri asked if she could come along, and so the three of them had retraced their steps to the river. They stayed in the shallows, and Ketri and Rianok took turns showing her the basics. It started with just putting her face in the water and holding her breath, and then moved on to the arm and leg bits. Mela drank more than her fair share of the Fen Fergal that day, inhaled it even on occasion. But both Rianok and Ketri were patient and Rianok, looking like a fox that had been dunked in a trough, stood and cheered when Mela finally swam ten paces unaided, even though Ketri had to catch quickly up to keep her from being taken by the current. With soul hanging low in the western sky and Mela's teeth chattering uncontrollably, they dried off, filled their water skins, and made their way back to camp. Her arms and legs felt like sodden wood. Her vision was a tad blurry around the edges, and her face was warm with exhaustion. Mela's had told her different, but in the moment, it felt as if learning to fight had been easier than this. With a quarter bell left to reach the camp, the smell of cooking meat reached them. Colfin or Sarkeesian had got something. 
a young buck. Colfin was already up to his magic, both preparing some steaks in a skillet and roasting one of the haunches over the fire. Upon entering the small copse of trees that surrounded the camp, Mela actually drooled. She ate her fill, and then ate a bit more after that. When dinner was cleaned and stored, Sarkeesian called them round the fire. She spoke of her feelings, that she knew they were on to something dangerous, but for her part it was what she was out and about in the world for to make sure these unseen, unreconciled threats were dealt with. Colfin and Ketri's acquiescence added up to two grunts and two nods. Colborn spoke with a hitch of emotion in his voice about the work they were doing, and how, if they could find either Enganar or this green scarab, that every moment mattered. Every beat sooner that they found them was a potential life, saved from ruin. Rianok seemed to be listening to both the conversation and to something else at the same time, as if distracted, though Mela now well knew that she was not. When the silence carried for a few beats past the point that felt comfortable, Rianok looked at each of them and then said that she felt she was where she was supposed to be and that they were doing what they should be. They all looked to Mela. She smiled. I go where Colborn goes. And then, after a pause, where you all go. A matter of if they should persist being solved, the conversation turned to how or where they should proceed. A straightforward approach in the province's capital had come up empty. What other paths might they take? Other cities were suggested. Borgen, Feld's Crossing. Maybe they were closer to where this green scarab operated. Colborn argued that the more they made it known that they were looking, the more their faces would become known, associated with a search, making them even easier targets for assassins and the like. And the more they gave away about themselves, the more likely the right group or the right number of people would be sent for them, and their journey would end. He didn't say they would be killed, but he didn't need to. Silence followed for a time. Exhausted from her day's lessons and belly full of warm meat, Mela was fighting to keep her eyes open. Colborn threw out the idea of infiltrating a crime ring of some sort or another, though his tone held hope the idea would be shot down, and it was shortly after. Sarkeesian didn't like that it would require one, maybe two of them at most, to break ties with them for a long time. And there was no telling what the type of any particular syndicate's connections would be. The silence returned. Mela's eyelids closed. There was nothing but the warmth and crackle of the fire. Mamersphere, Rianok said. Just shy of sleep, Mela's eyes popped back open. At the mention of the words, she had felt the energy of the group change, grow agitated, alert, 
She scanned the faces around the fire. All of them were turned on Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian stared at Rianuk. What was the mummer's fare? Layla wondered. And why did it draw this reaction? Mela flicked the blood off of her blade, even as the last ruffian fell. Seven. They had dropped seven. She had been worried, with Colborn across the room, that he would be overwhelmed before she came to his aid. But he had managed to get a casting off. Something that had three of the first four out of the ruined door standing and staring off into the open air was all the time she had needed to get to where he was, to let her blades go to work. She took one of them before they were even aware of her. A second got off one swing that she turned aside with her sword before she made quick work of them. Two more had come from behind, and then the hypnotized attackers were jostled awake and the battle was joined. Mela was no Ketri, but as time passed, she had grown more and more confident in her blade work. She was fast. One of the fastest Sarkeesian had ever seen, the paladin had confided in her. At first, Mela had just thought those words another well-intentioned attempt to bolster her confidence. But as she learned, as she watched, she discovered it was true blades and maces flew. Mela slid and skipped, her own blades lashing and biting. Bursts of cold air came from behind and off to her right where she knew Colborn was, and then as fast as it had begun, it was over. Mela flicked her blade, eyes quickly finding Colborn. He was holding his ribs and breathing heavily, but smiled. Just a bruise, she looked down to herself, a shallow cut on her forearm and a deeper one across her left shoulder, but nothing that would slow her down. Mela was always amazed at how little mind she paid the wounds she received during combat. Grunts, thuds, and clatters still came from the other room. Mela rushed away to help Ketri. She was too late. Mela arrived just in time to see her long-armed friend bury the axe into the head of one assailant and a second into the neck of another, ending the last two ambushers. The room looked like a boulder had been dropped in it. Shattered crossbows, broken furniture, and fallen bodies strewn throughout. Six. Ketri had felled six all by herself. The tall woman turned. Covered in a dozen or more cuts of her own, you would, by the look on her face, have thought she had just received the best first breath day present ever, not decided the fate of six. Mela refrained from asking Ketri if she was okay. The woman took it as an insult for some reason. Colborn came through the door behind, eyes going wide but he also remained silent. Mela's thoughts went to Sarkeesian, Colfin, and Rianak. They were supposed to be going through a door on the opposite side of the building in an attempt to prevent anyone from escaping. But if attackers were waiting here for Ketri Colborn and herself, 
there were most likely more waiting for their friends. We have to find the others, Mela said. Ketri's eye squinted, lips curling into a smile. It was not a pleasant smile. It seems Mela and her companions are on the verge of capturing the devious Anganar. But will they prevail over the trap that has been laid for them? Stay tuned next week for part two of The Undying Emerald. Thank you.